Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode number 181 of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh, life coach, recovering alcoholic and entrepreneur, here to help you figure it all out and thrive and not just survive. That's what we're doing around here today. This episode I have for you today is so exciting to me, you guys, um, and you're going to hear me say this a lot, <laughs> but one of the main pillars I live my life by is that everything happens exactly the way it's supposed to. And I've seen this over and over again in my life. It has proven itself to be true over and over. Of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty. You know, you can look back on situations and go, oh, okay, I get it now. I see why I was there in that situation or met that person. Because everything we do truly is a stepping stone leading to the next thing. And this for me goes for jobs. Like I can't tell you, I had a, had a job one time that I was volunteering and ended up with a full-time job, right? Because I was present, I was showing up, I was doing the thing. This, the volunteering part was the stepping stone to the next thing. I've had this happen with people. I've had this happen with, uh, real estate, like I wanted to buy this condo one time, and I've shared this story on other podcasts. I wanted to buy this condo. I was so gung-ho, and I was so focused. I just wanted it, wanted it, wanted it. And everything I did, it was falling through. Everything I did, it just wouldn't happen. Like, I just couldn't make it happen. You know what? Fast forward two, maybe three years later, the developer lost the whole development was getting sued. Everybody that had put money down on these condos lost their money, right? So again, another thing, everything happens exactly the way it's supposed to, where I could have been really angry, and I was <laughs> for a minute, I was really angry that I could not get that deal to go through. But thank goodness it didn't go through. It happened exactly the way it was supposed to. And Again, this is equally true with, with things that feel bad when things aren't going my way and equally true when things do go my way. It all happens the way it's supposed to. And today's guest is exactly that. He mentions in our conversation, he even says, he's like, Angela, we've never met in person. And I had totally forgotten that part. <laughs> like I've never met this man in real life. But let me tell you, years ago, Wade was living in California, working for a company, and for one reason or another, had reached out to me, had gotten my name, reached out to me, and we chatted, we connected, and from that point forward, we just kind of connected with each other on various things. Hey, what's going on with this? Hey, do you know this person? We just always stayed in touch. Fast forward again, several years, Wade started a podcast. I had been thinking about starting a podcast, but was too scared. 
I hadn't gotten the courage to actually take action. I was so intimidated by the process and that I had no idea what I was doing. And I was freaked out by it. And I've told you guys before, you know, I thought about my podcast for two years before I finally started it. And Wade starting his podcast is really what gave me the push. I saw him doing it. I saw him putting it together. And what it did for me is it gave me a connection. It gave me a person I was connected to that I could reach out and ask questions. Just like I tell you guys to always use your tribe. Have a tribe. Reach out. That's exactly what I did with Wade. A person who I've never even met in real life, but now is in a position that I truly owe my whole podcast to this person. Because he gave me grace and space. He allowed me to reach out to him and ask questions as I was putting it all together and freaking out, by the way, on all the stuff, you know, (laughs) and I talk about that in our episode too. But this is a true testament to everything happens exactly the way it's supposed to. Every person placed in your life is placed there for a reason. Every experience you are having, whether it feels good or not, is happening for a reason. Let's welcome Wade Bergquist to the show. Okay, my friends, I am so crazy excited about this episode I can't even say enough about this person, but the one thing I want to say is that I literally owe my entire podcast to this person. This is the guy that started his podcast that gave me the strength to start mine. He was the person that I could call and go, oh my gosh, how do you do this? What is this? What does this mean? How do I do this? What equipment should I buy? (laughs) And if it wasn't for him, Addiction Unlimited wouldn't even exist. So it is much overdue, but I reached out to him and asked him to come on the show and share his story with us. You guys are going to love him. Let's welcome Wade Bergquist to the show. Hi, Wade. How are you? Angela, I am am humbled by the uh, introduction, number one, but I'm doing well here in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I'm extremely pleased uh, to be on your podcast for sure. Yes. I mean, it really is long overdue. But, you know, I was thinking about this and I know I've mentioned you on other episodes that, you know, you were really the reason I started. And we were just having this fantastic conversation before we hit record about everything that goes into a podcast, right? And and how kind of labor intensive it is and why people will all of a sudden stop podcasting (laughs) because it's so much work. And you made a comment that was so right on the money about, you said, even learning how to post a podcast, (laughs) just that process in itself. And that's really why I say I, I owe this all to you, right? Because I was so intimidated by those things, but because you had done yours and have always been such a good friend to me that always let me reach out and ask questions, you know, like that's really what took away that intimidation and fear factor for me and got me to get off my buns and actually do it. <laughs> well, it is. It's, there's so many different facets to it, but ultimately, you know, we think to ourselves, are we going to even be a good host? I mean, what does that mean? And how can I articulate my points and what questions am I going to ask? And how is this going to roll out? Is someone going to want to listen to it? And you really do. You just have to kind of say, okay, I'm all in. And I'm probably going to fumble a little bit, but at the same time, I'm passionate, I'm dedicated. So let's see where the chips fall. And ultimately, I think if someone wants to do a podcast and they're, they're gung-ho about it, 
that's a pretty unique person because most people are like, I'm never doing a podcast. So I think that people that want to do them, they, they don't really know how good they can be as a host. And then they're like, no, I can actually do this. And I'm super comfortable. And that's potentially one of the reasons why I wanted to start this. Right. Well, I definitely, and anybody that knows me knows that I have never had a problem talking. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I felt pretty comfortable <laughs> getting started. Well, I'm really happy to have you on. And there are a couple of things that I want to focus on today. And really, I want to talk about some early recovery stuff because these are things that come up so often in my community. And we're always talking about FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. Like that's a big one and cravings. And those are the things I really want to dig in with you. And let's start with, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about your personal journey with recovery? Well, I don't recommend anyone taking my journey by any means Um, because it took me 17 years to get sober. And I was going to meeting after meeting after meeting. I started in 1996, my first meeting in Winona, Minnesota. And I just knew that something was going on. And at that time, and it's been so long, I mean, 1996, but DUIs were starting to, were starting to kind of stack up. I have three of them. Um, I was in a high-speed chase with a Minnesota State Trooper. Uh, back in like 1998 as well. And so my road is saying like, okay, when I drink, I don't stop. And when I say I'm not going to drink, I do. And of course I learned years later, that was kind of a definition of an alcoholic. And it took me a long time to realize like what an alcoholic was. It was not the guy under the bridge, you know, with a trench coat drinking, you know, a pint. Um, And I didn't have any rules for life. I didn't have any friendly direction. I was getting fired from jobs. Um, I wasn't a very good friend. I wasn't paying my bills. It was selfishness, self-centeredness, ego, entitlement, Wade's world 101. And I'm a, I said this a long time ago, and there was a person in the rooms that said, you know, how did you come up with that? And Maybe it'll resonate with some people and maybe it won't, but I'm a firm believer I was chosen to be sober. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but it doesn't make any other sense for me to be why I'm still sober today and why I kept going back for 17 years. I mean, every week I was in a meeting and I could not get sober. And I kept saying to myself, I can do this. I just don't want to right now. And then, you know, I pass out on the street, lose another job, you know, you know, a relationship would go up and smoke. And I just had no understanding of how to be a human being and be authentic to myself. Like who is Wade and why am I so at odds with myself all the time and not comfortable? And with all of that stewing about I then said, you know, my, I didn't say it. My, after a, a DUI, my stepdad was like, you're going to AA. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic. He's like, yeah, you are. I'm like, oh. So I went, and it took me a long time to, to get going back. Um, but a very long, long story short, 
I heard my story from a 60 year old woman on Summit Avenue in St. Paul at the, at the Uptown house. And my, I, to this day, I get chills. And she, she spoke my story and I'm like, I'm screwed, I'm done. I'm an alcoholic. And I'm like, okay. And again, it took a long, long time. Um, but I'm a garden variety alcoholic. And I'm like, we had talked about earlier, you know, pre-recording that I can get tiled, you know, tied up in anything. I can go, I can get addicted to anything, like food, I mean, spending, I mean, wasting time. I mean, it's crazy, but procrastination, avoidance. I can get all of that, but I will say this. It's the greatest gift that's ever been given to me and I work at it, but it was presented to me in some way that I'm like, okay, this makes sense. And I'm starting to feel better and it might be 1% better, but that's a whole lot better than feeling like I was. And you know, that, that started my path in, in this, what I consider, um, I couldn't live any other way. I'd have been dead years ago, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Did you have a problem with calling yourself an alcoholic? Like, did you have a problem with that word? That's a great question. <laughs> and I'll give you my alcoholic answer. No, I didn't because I didn't care at all about anything. So if someone's going to call me an alcoholic, so I don't care. Like, pardon my French, fuck you. So I'm an alcoholic. Big deal. Is that the worst you got for me? Is that all you can call me as an alcoholic? Like, okay. So again, I didn't know what I was up against. I didn't understand what, where my life was going to go. Because I say to myself, I want this wonderful life. And it was polar opposite. I was never homeless, but I was, the only reason I wasn't homeless is because of my parents. It's like I had a place to go until I could figure some stuff out. But yeah, I didn't have a problem with care in the world. Like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, big deal. And then it's kind of a badge of honor. Like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. I got street cred or something. But the thing is, looking back on it, it is probably the most serious, I mean, it's the most distinct aspect of my life where talk about a fork in the road. And I never joke about it. I never, never, ever, ever. But I live in a world now where all of my friends are 5, 10, 15 years sober. I don't associate with many people who are struggling or cannot get to a meeting or are literally gripped by this disease who can't function. And I know that's out there. And that's where I was. And so the only reason I kept going is because I, I felt so bad about myself. I didn't care if you called me that. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, well, wait a minute. Well, wait, I'm an alcoholic. And then you get the education. And then you're like, oh, light bulbs going off left and right. And who you are as a son, who you are as a brother, who you are as an employee, who you are as a friend. And like on paper, you wouldn't have wanted to be within a mile of me. But I could chuck and jive and market myself and look good on the outside. Like, oh, Wade's a good guy. And inside, I'm just a cauldron of boiling mess. (laughs) Yeah, 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 that's nice. So the word, there was a, a quote from Steve Jobs a long time ago with regard to money. And they were talking about like, hey, how's money affected you? 
And he's like, well, for a certain period of time, I had none. So that I didn't care then. And then I had so much, it didn't bother me either. So money's never been an issue for him. And when he was a, a living, of course. And the same thing with alcoholism and the name for me. Up to a certain point, I didn't give a shit about the name. And then I got the education with regard to what it was. And I was so far past that. And I'd come so far. I'm like, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. So I'm okay with it. It was never that stigma of like, don't call me alcoholic. Like, keep it down. Yeah. That was never the case. Yeah. But yeah. I'll do, I would have done a podcast with you 15 years ago. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I would have nothing to say, but I would have done it because I'm like, sure. I don't care. I think I, I definitely didn't know everything it meant to be an alcoholic, but I knew I was one. And when I really understood, I, for me, I was relieved because I felt like then I really knew what the issue was. And it's, I feel foolish now, all these years later, like that I that somehow I didn't identify that that was the problem. Like all those years of my life being unmanageable, as we say, and all the drama and trauma and just the insanity that I lived on a daily basis. It's like, how did I not connect that, that, you know, it's all connected to alcoholism. But once I really understood, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Now I know what to do. Now I know where to go. I know where to get help. I know how to fix it. Like now I have a solution where before I understood that word, I didn't have a solution. Like I was just lost. Yeah. It was, I equated to like being in, you know, overseas in Japan or someplace and trying to speak the language. And I've never even picked up. A, I didn't know the language existed. And now I'm trying to speak like this is a whole vocabulary. It's a whole it's a whole education behind it. And ultimately with, with the men in the program who've, I've had the most amazing sponsors. I could cry with regard to the, 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 the people who've been there for me. I'm like, wait, your, your way's not working. And like, they're living really good lives and they're really, really nice guys. And why am I so obstinate that I can't even follow their direction? The men that I think are fantastic and I like being around, I won't take their direction. Like, okay, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a mess right there. That's a quandary I couldn't figure out for a long time. I was so stuck in my own ways and like, I'll figure this out instead of asking for help. Um, and then taking that guidance and trying to apply it. And of course we hear in the program all the time, you know, you don't have to do anything. We will gladly, you know, refund your misery but give it a shot. Try something different. If this is the life you say you want, you want to make X amount of dollars, you want to live in a nice house, you want to drive a nice car, if those materialistic things, if they, if they motivate you, fine. If you want to be a better human being, if you want to work at the, the, the shelter, you know, you've got to do something other than what I've been, what I've been doing. And I'm saying like everything I wanted didn't add up to my behavior whatsoever. And all I did was sit back and go, okay, I'm going to listen to these guys and I'm going to see what happens. And that's yeah, exactly we, what I did after a long time. We are so freaking obstinate. Yeah. I mean, it is silly when you can step back from it and look at your behavior and go, 
why, like, I have to have this conversation with myself all the time. Like, Angela, why are you digging your heels in on this deal? Like, what are you really doing? You know? And sometimes I'm like, God, just stop. <laughs> it's just my nature is to, you know, be obstinate. We are obstinate rebellious. Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I moved about four months ago into my condo here. And I live, I live downtown St. Paul and literally across the street is Mears Park. And Mears Park can be wonderful can be beautiful, it can be fantastic, but it has a dark side too. So there's homeless people in there and there's on a scale of one to 10, 10 being bad trouble, probably two, you know, one or a two and as far as the trouble is concerned. But I see guys sleeping in the park all the time. And like, that could be me. I, I don't think I'm that far away from that, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, I mean, I know now like, Jesus. And you've got a couple of screws loose and you got a little bit of a drinky poo problem and you create a, you, you um, get popped for a couple of crimes. You can't get hired anywhere. Mm-hmm. You're done. And like guys like myself, I was the DUI in college. You know, I had two DUIs by the same cop in 58 days in Winona. And so at the time I'm thinking, oh, big deal. Well, I didn't think that I had to, wait, wait a minute, I can't get hired. Like no one wants to hire, back then, I mean, maybe it's different now, I don't know. But back then there was like, they checked for that. And I'm sure they still do, but I was cooked before I left school. I said, what am I supposed to do? It's scary. It's really scary. And, you know, I recently uh, was close to a relapse. Not that I was close to relapsing. I w- had someone close to me relapse. Let me rephrase that. Um, uh, one of the guys in my sober house relapsed a couple of weeks ago, and I just got an update today. You know, I was checking in, like, how is he doing? Is he still drinking? Did he go to detox? Is he getting back on track? And and he has continued drinking and I guess got arrested a couple of times within a few days of each other and is now looking like just this absolute mess of a situation legally, personally lost his job. Apparently the cops got called on him at his job. So I don't know what that was all about, but I'm hearing all these things. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like this, this is the sort of unpredictability that comes with drinking. Like, this is why I don't relapse, you know, not only because I just don't want to drink, but because I have a very clear understanding that all of that crazy shit that happens to other people can just as easily happen to me. And I think people forget that, right? And they think, oh, I can just drink tonight or I can drink a little while longer. It's not a big deal. And the truth is it can become a big deal very, very quickly. Well, the the thing is that gets me, and I was in this for a long time, so I'm never on a pedestal with regard to anything I say. I was for a long time like, yeah, I came back. I was out for the last six months, but I came back. And like, it's an automatic that I'm going to come back. There's no guarantees that I'm coming back to the program. And I hear that time and time again, and I was that guy, so I don't judge. It's, ne- it's merely an observation at this point, but I'm like, sobriety, I don't, it couldn't be more delicate. Again, I don't care if you're 
30 days sober, seven years sober, 15 years sober. There's work to be done every day. And I hear people going out, not on a consistent, I, the group of which I associate with isn't huge and we all have busy lives. And, but I hear people going out on a consistent basis. Like, yeah, they had a year and a half and they're out again and they can't get back. And again, it's, I feel kind of, I'm not, uh, I work in it every day as well. And, you know, I subscribe to, I don't drink no matter what. That was put into my head by my first sponsor a long time ago. And it's like, I don't care what's going on. You're not, you're not picking up. That's not part. That's not what we do here. And it's just like, oh, okay. And then I can't explain to you how it washed over me. And now I believe it. And now I won't do it. I'm like, maybe it was the guy, my sponsor that I'm like, okay, I won't drink. Okay. I won't do that. And you put a couple of you. And again, too, the, the 17 years I was trying to get sober were so painful that um, maybe it just washed over me like, wait, you don't want to live this pain. Like, what's going on? Um, That's so, so was, good, was, too, though. That's so good because so many people really struggle with that, certainly if they've had some relapses. And they really struggle with like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get this? Like, what is it going to take? And mm-hmm. I, I always say like, you never know when it is going to be just that right moment that the right person is going to say the right thing. And it's going to hit you just the right way. And the switch is going to flip. You don't know when that's going to happen, but you have to be present for that to happen. (laughs) You have to keep showing up and working on your recovery and being willing and being in recovery conversations in order for that to happen. And I have so many of those things like from my early sobriety, those little one-liner things that, that were game changers for me, you know, and another one was when you get hit by a train, it's not the caboose that kills you. And such a simple thing, but I was like, oh my gosh, it's the first one. <laughs> and like, <laughs> yep. it just hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, all I have to not drink is one. That's all I, I just have to make sure I don't have the first one. If I don't have one, I'm not going to have the other hundred, you know, but right. it, all those little one-liners can be so, so, so important. Speaking of one-liners, I was, uh, I went to a meeting in California. I was there three weeks ago, sitting in the meeting. I'd, I'd gone to that meeting numerous times when I was living in California and the guy was talking and he's like, you know what? He's like, I no longer, uh, how do you say it? Um, I no longer fear the facts. Oh, that's and good. I literally fell out of my damn chair. And I went, I got chills and I'm like, wow, like I, and he couldn't have been more true. I no longer fear the facts. And again, that's the one thing, Angela, too, that COVID has kind of pulled away from me with regard to meetings. And you can still hear one-liners in meetings and all that, don't get me wrong. But those one-liners sitting in meetings where you're like, huh, wait, did he just say I, don't, I no longer fear the facts? And it hits you like a shot through the heart because in the, when I was trying to get sober, I could justify anything. I would lie about anything. I would lie to myself about obvious things. And I would be very fearful of a factual situation instead of absorbing it. 
and I, I always use this analogy and it's, it's seems to work well. There's the movie, the hunt for red October with Sean Connery. So in that movie, his name's Ramius and they're, you know, in the submarines and all this kind of stuff. And there's a sub chasing them and that sub fires a torpedo. So what happens is, you know, Ramius, Sean Connery's character is the captain of like 30 years, all this experience and all this kind of stuff. And long story short, he's, he tells his, his guy to turn into the torpedo and everyone freaks out. Like, what are you doing? You're going to get us killed. He's like, and he's the captain. So they do what he says. He's like, turn into the torpedo now. So they do that. And like four seconds later in movie land, you hear a ting and the torpedo bounced off the sub. Well, he said to turn into it because the torpedo didn't have time to arm itself. And if we run from our problems, everything has time to arm itself and make it worse. But if we face those things head on, more often than not, they don't have time to arm themselves and it'll bounce off you versus running from it. And I was running from everything versus turning into it and saying, man, I don't know what I'm doing, but my feet hurt and I can't run anymore. And all I want to do is have some peace and quiet in my life and feel like a human being. And when I start turning into things, it's like things start to turn around for me. Mm-hmm. And if you get a parking ticket and you ignore it, a $35 parking ticket is going to be 300 bucks in four months. So feel free. You can ignore whatever you want. It's going to get worse. That, that's my motto in life. And if I ignore stuff, I'm a sitting duck. And I just try to turn into this stuff right now and say, okay, addiction, okay, world, okay, job. I'm going to give you 110% of weight today, and I'm not in the results business. I'm in the effort business, period. And if I give you 110% and I feel good about weight and you don't like it, okay, so be it. I'm authentic. I gave you my best, and maybe it's not a match. And But more often than not, if I do that, things turn out pretty well. And I, at the end of the day, sleep very well. So, Amen so to that. Yeah. I mean, it's sobriety to me is, is, is incredibly challenging even to this day. And there are things that I work on on a consistent basis and we are, the word perfection doesn't exist in my life, but progress does. And there was a reason I drank. There was a reason that I wanted to consistently get out of myself. And I was, it's interesting. I'm, I started writing a memoir of myself and so I'm writing, why did I drink? You know, what's the, seriously, I wasn't, I didn't have a problem meeting women. I wasn't like, I didn't feel, I felt great about myself. I had too much self-esteem. I drank because I didn't identify with my authentic self. And I didn't know where I fit in the world. Mm-hmm. That was my pain. And when I didn't fit somewhere, I feel better. Mm-hmm. And that is, and it's funny. I was, I've been thinking about that for a long, long time. And I get these these hints of an answer every so often, but I had never written that down on paper before. I couldn't figure out my authentic self. And that was the reason why I drank and I didn't fit in. And who would have thought sitting in Alcoholics Anonymous is where I fit in, but that's where I fit in. And I don't question it any more than I question the light bulb here. You know, I just am an alcoholic and it's a gift because I'm on the other side of it and I work at it. Right. When I walked into my first um, meeting at my home group, it was like the first time 
ever in my life, I felt like I fit in somewhere. It was yeah. the first time that I was like, oh, these are my people. I felt the same thing. I, I felt like, I mean, you've been to meetings in Los Angeles. Yeah. I've been to meetings in Los Angeles. If I felt like someone threw a warm blanket over me and like said, you're home. And it happened here in Minnesota too, but it really happened in California. Yeah. It really, I mean, even in Orange County, Los Angeles, San Francisco, I went to meetings in all three cities. But I will say this, in Los Angeles, it is different. And I felt like, like well, I can be me here. And I am me here. And everyone is, it just, I felt home. Yeah. 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 So did you have a lot of FOMO when you first started drinking? I know we didn't. Well, maybe you did have that cutesy little term when you got sober. FOMO was not a term when I got sober, but (laughs) did you have a lot of that fear of missing out? Like when you decided to really quit drinking and focus on recovery and make those changes in your life, did you, did you have a lot of that fear of like, what is it going to be like, like missing, hanging out with your drinking friends and doing the weekend things you used to do? What was that? How did you get through that? I first, I had an absolute fear of missing out. That was one of the biggest things that was hindering my ability to effectively stop drinking and get into recovery and live a fulfilled life. Um, by going to meetings, I heard it one time and a guy said, if you're not there, you're not missing it. And I'm like, wait a minute, what did you just say? If I'm not there, I'm not missing it. And it, it, that's, that was the first thing. When I, when, I, when I read FOMO on the, on the text you sent me, I'm like, oh, if you're missing out, if I'm not there, I'm not, I'm not missing it, like that. And to this, now to prior to that, I was like, I'm going to miss this party and miss this dinner and miss this wedding. And at the end of the day, Angela, I didn't miss much. Number one, I truly didn't. I had a pretty small life, Um, but things got exponentially better because I had that mentality of like, this is the direction of which I have to go. And I've got to give this a shot. And people around me were saying little things like, if you're not there, you're not going to miss it. But the one guy in California said it one night that hit and clicked and it stuck with me. But yeah, I think that's a big, big thing when it comes to getting sober is like, got to change my friends, got to change everything I do. And like that old adage, like you only have to change one thing is everything. (laughs) Um, And again, cliches and Alcoholics Anonymous and the recovery community are so funny sometimes, but man, are they true? Yeah, they're so accurate. It's like its own shorthand, you know, like there's so much meaning in these little few words that we string together. Okay. So when you started making those changes, like, did you go out and break up with all your friends? Like in one day you decided to be sober and you're like, I can't hang out with you people anymore. You know, it was interesting. My path was, that was not my path. Um, very soon after I started trying to get sober, within six months, I was living in San Francisco. So I kind of did a, a sober geographic in a sense. I mean, I was going there for a job. I had a job lined up. It was for good reasons. I just didn't like wake up one day and drive. Um, so when I landed in San Francisco, I didn't know anyone. I mean, literally, I knew my boss and that was it. And I went to meetings and old friends back in Minnesota here, uh, they fell by the wayside. And I was gone from Minnesota for about 12 years. And I caught up with them, you know, 
couple of phone calls. I'd pop back into town every so often and, and see them and stuff like that. But no, there was no mass exodus for me. Like I asked like 15 friends and then I went to the AA side. And now like, I don't even know these people anymore. Um, today, 95% of my friends are in recovery because I, I don't want to be around. I truly don't. I don't want to be around anyone who drinks. It's not, it's not what I want in my life. I don't like people getting tipsy. I don't like what people say. I don't, I don't, I want nothing to do with it. And that's my life today. And it's, I'm, I'm pleased about that for sure. <laughs> but that is something that's very true though. And that happens when you get sober. It's like, I can't hang out with so-and-so. Well, you, no one says you can't, but if you guys are going to parties and doing what you're doing and they're not going to change again, another cliche, you know, you just, hang out enough time at the barbershop, you're probably gonna get a haircut kind of thing. And when I made that decision, I cut a few friends, um, but were they friends? No, they were drinking acquaintances. Yeah. Um, I, I, I dabbled in drugs for six, eight months. Um, that wasn't my thing, but you know, you have to try it. Um, but yeah, I didn't miss any, like an old long, I have one long time friend that was, that was, he tried to get sober like five years after I tried to get sober and he and I had a huge falling out. I don't know if he's sober to this day or not. I think he lives like 10 minutes from me. Um, but no, I just, I went to San Francisco, started going to meetings and then, um, you know, great people were around me for sure. Yeah. I didn't have any, you know, mass breakup with all of my drinking friends either. <laughs> and the truth is the people that are really, truly your friends will remain your friends, regardless of whether you're drinking or not. Like the ones that really matter don't care if you drink or not. But I will say that my life got very small for a little while. Like I really just, I just wanted to focus on being sober and being comfortable uh, probably because I felt uncomfortable in the world, right? Like going out in the world and doing things was new as a sober person and unfamiliar and uncomfortable. So I know for me, I just really cut my life down to work and meetings and, and hanging out with my sober friends, mostly like if any of my drinking friends and, and this really sums it up. If any of my drinking friends would have been calling me, asking me to go do non-drinking things, I would have absolutely still hung out with them, <laughs> but there wasn't a single one of those people. And I still saw them regularly, but they were not calling me going, Hey Angela, do you want to go see a movie? Hey Angela, do you want to yeah. go get breakfast? Do you want to go get a coffee? Like nobody, none of my drinking friends were reaching out to me to do non-drinking things. So I just took that as like, I'm just going to let my life be very simple for a while and right. be where I'm comfortable and be with who I'm comfortable with. And looking back, I think it was probably one of the best things I could do because it also, I think allowed me to not have so much of that FOMO because yeah. I wasn't yeah. trying to do stuff. I wasn't comfortable with. <laughs> right. And looking back, I mean, hindsight's 2020 and I, that was the path of which I was on. So it made sense. I wasn't trying to fight it. And I mean, I maybe fought it for a little bit because I didn't understand it, but after, you know, the 
third DUI and stuff like that. I'm like, there's some stuff that's going on here and I got to try to focus on this. And granted, I would have, you know, a month of sobriety go out, six months of sobriety go out. I never had a year by any means. Um, but I was always coming back, like I said earlier. And now those things, when, when if you sit there long enough and you hit those meetings, you you hear all of these ideas and people are really guiding you just by like, they're not talking to me, but they were guiding me. And I just like subconsciously sat back and went, okay, I'm like, I guess I'm, I'm not going to go to that party tonight. And I, for some reason, it, it just sunk in with me. I'm like, yeah, you don't have to go. You're fine. And little by little by little, um, sobriety kind of said, you know what? I have you here and we're, we're not going to leave you behind. I don't know if that makes sense, but I often use the, uh, the karate kid analogy as well. Like my sobriety, like Mr. Miyagi me, like I was, I was polishing the car and waxing the deck or whatever they were doing. And the next thing you know, he knew karate. And that was very similar with me with sobriety. I'm like, I was just doing all these things. And the next thing you know, when something came up, I'm like, oh, I think I know what to do here. Because I was going, because right. I was listening. That's the only reason. It wasn't one meeting a week for me. It was five and six. And for a period of time, seven, eight, nine meetings a week. And some people do that. Some people don't. Um, your program is different than mine and both programs work and it's the fear of missing out now because you can't tell someone this like your life is going to be 10 times better and you're never going to miss what you think you're going to miss but it's very tough to tell that to someone in early recovery well now it's jomo joy of missing out (laughs) now i'm so happy to miss out (laughs) (laughs) I just put this in the Facebook group the other day. Somebody said something about FOMO and I said, but what am I really missing out on? You know, what am I missing out on? Like embarrassing myself in public DUIs, blackouts, like the apology tour every day when I wake up, like, oh my gosh, what did I say? And who do I have to apologize to? Like, is my car in the garage? Like, am I really missing anything? Because I'm really not, there's nothing I'm missing out on. No, and the thing is, too, if, and I looked at it from after a while. I mean, all this stuff took a long time for me to get to. But I needed to um, create things in my life that I wanted to do versus missing out on what someone else was planning. And like, wait, if you want to go to the Arboretum on Saturday, go to the Arboretum. You right. don't have to go to a party. I mean, I'm saying, like, like let's, let's focus. What does Wade want? What do I want in my life? And I start planning that. I mean, I couldn't even plan a, I remember I was dating someone a long time ago and like it was Halloween and she's like, so what do you want to do for Halloween? I'm like, well, you need nothing. We'll, we'll go out. She's like, what do you want to go out as? I'm like, I don't want to dress up. And she's like, why? Everyone's going to dress up. And I'm like, that's so lame. Number one, it takes way too much time. And she's like, wait, it's a fucking Halloween costume. And I seriously, in the back of my mind, I'm like, it's way too much work. For a Halloween costume, for someone of which I said I cared about, I wouldn't even get a Halloween costume. I wouldn't even make one. I was so in my own head, like, let's just go out and drink. Have a good time. And this alcoholic was as lazy as they come. And I think that's one of the things in, in my sobriety where I'm like, holy cow, am I lazy? Do I procrastinate? I mean, I think the Rolls Royce should be pulled out of out front of my place and drive me wherever I want to go. I don't oh, want to do the work. Gosh, 
That would be so nice. If I could have a driver, I would be the happiest person ever. Very true. <laughs> that would be perfect. I said the same thing when I was drunk, by the way. <laughs> I'd leave my car and I'd be like, my car was overserved. If I had a driver, I wouldn't have to worry about these things. <laughs> so true. But um, yeah, that there's no more fear. The Jomo I'm going to use. I'm going to use that. Because there yeah, is a joke missing out now. I'm like, you know what? I missed that. Okay. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> I love the Jomo. That's really funny. Okay. Uh, favorite question, final question. Sure. What is your favorite thing about being a sober person? What a great question, Angela. Um, my favorite thing about being a sober person, I can achieve my goals. I have goals to achieve. I can, that's the number one answer. Like being a good son is great. Being a good friend is great. I mean, th those are all good things. Those are all wonderful yeah. things. Um, but being in school and graduating, it took me, it took me 18 years to get my undergrad. Cause I said, I remember I said, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. You want to give me a D in Celt for non-math majors? fine. Give me a D. I don't care. You want to give me a D in uh, business accounting? I don't care. I don't need my degree. I will lie on my resume for as long as I have to, because that's what I'll do. But now I graduated a couple of years ago and I got into my master's program and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, what? Who's this guy? Yeah. And again, there's not a, there's not one day. And it's, it's an interesting analogy that I, that I heard. Um, if you brush your teeth once a year, you're in trouble, right? But if you take two minutes in the morning, two minutes at night, every single day, something happens and you don't know where it is or when it is, but something happens molecularly speaking from a physiological standpoint, things start to happen where it's a consistency. And the next thing you know, you got great teeth. I mean, of course I could go down that rabbit hole for a long time, but you know, it's the, just a little bit, but what, all I have to do is focus and go, wait, a day at a time. I just do this thing a day at a time. And do I like brushing my teeth? I honestly don't. Why do I do it? Mass, mass benefit. <laughs> yeah. Massive benefit. <laughs> you know, there's, we can talk about that for an hour. But I, I, I stay sober for the same reasons. It's mass benefit. There is literally no downside whatsoever to my sobriety, my recovery, and who I'm becoming as a man. I want to be a gentleman. Mm -hmm. I want to be respected. But in order for me to get respect, I have to give it first. Period. End of story. That doesn't, mm -hmm. That's how life works. And I'm like, like, we're doing this podcast. And we said it like three weeks ago. And I showed up today. And you showed up today. And what a beautiful thing. Because we respect each other. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. And I, the, the invitation alone was, was, I was humbled. I think your, I think your podcast is awesome. And I, we, this is the first time that we've been like face to face. I've always talked to you on the phone mm -hmm. since the day I met you, we've never been face to face. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, she's a friend of mine. She lives in Kansas city. And I'm like, I could pick up the phone and we've done that. We've had conversations and it's like, wow, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Who would have thought? 
And I know for a fact, if something was going down and I'm like, Hey, I need some help. And I had a question for you. You'd be there to answer it for me. For sure. For sure. And that goes both ways. And that's why sobriety is so damn powerful. Yeah. It's so wonderful and it's worth it. It's worth every single thing I've ever put into it. And it's, I feel like I won the lottery every day and it's the ultimate, ultimate gift for sure. Mass benefit. Yeah. I no downside. <laughs> no downside whatsoever. For sure. Wade, thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me. And thank you for being such a great person in my life and for encouraging me to start my podcast and for answering my questions. I probably sounded like a neurotic, crazy person because I'm such a perfectionist, but, uh, but thank you just for being you. And thank you for being here for my listeners. I want to say one more thing. When I started my podcast and your podcast now is like Mount Everest to an anthill compared to mine. So I take, um, so proud of you for that. But you were the first person. I'm like, who do I want on my podcast? You are the first person who came to mind. And again, there are reasons for that. And you have shown me things and you have more sobriety than I do. And I, I watch the way you ran your life and it's inspiring. And hence oh, the reason you. I chose you uh, to be the very first guest. I still have that recording. I listen to it every so often and uh, it's awesome. Oh, I love that. Um, send me a link to it and I'll share it. Absolutely. Well, I'll share it with the people. With the peeps, <laughs> for sure. There'll be no right. Jomo. There'll be no Jomo on that. You're going to want to listen to that. I tell you. <laughs> so thank you for having me on. It's been, a, it's been an honor and a privilege for sure. Thank you. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.